everyone. Welcome back to The Coop with Meyer Hatchery, where we talk all things poultry in hopes of educating crazy chicken keepers and inspiring future flock owners. I'm Kendra. And I'm Jeff. And today we're talking about frugal chicken keeping. It's true that chickens are one of the most inexpensive animals to add to your homestead, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're cheap. In episode 43, we broke down how much it costs to raise chickens. If you haven't listened yet, it's a must as the numbers may shock you. To help you pinch pennies and save up for new flock additions, we've compiled some of our favorite frugal chicken keeping tips. We've said it before, but it's worth repeating. Chicken keeping has a huge veritable cost. Whether you're repurposing or buying new, have 10 chickens or 100. Everyone's cost is going to look a little different. Let's start with your chickens, though. So one way that you can save some money is by purchasing assortments or even hatchery choice. It's really when you start getting into the rare breeds or some of the more exotic breeds that you're going to be paying a lot more for individual chicks than if you do some of the assortment mixes. Now, in some cases, the assortments do offer some rare breeds. You just kind of have to pick and choose what you think is going to be best for you. Most times assortments that hatcheries like ours offer are going to be heat and cold hardy. They're just in general good breeds to have on your homestead. Um, So you may want to investigate some of the breeds that are offered before you go ahead and purchase if you're purchasing from somewhere else. But that's a good way to get a lower cost on individual chicks. And the other thing in there too is if you Uh, get more of one breed, the cost goes down. It's cheaper when you buy 16 of a breed, whereas instead of buying just one, the cost per bird is cheaper. Yeah, exactly. You get a price break on that breed the more you you purchase. So if you're not too interested in having a diverse flock as far as breed goes, getting some good old Rhode Island Reds or some of the more standard homestead breeds will save you. You can also hatch your own. Now there's going to be a little bit of the investment up front in purchasing your incubator, but once your flock starts laying eggs every year, if you start hatching your eggs, that's one way to save you're keeping it a closed flock. You're just using the birds that you have on your individual homestead. So again, a little bit of an expense up front, but I think the long-term investment in that is worth it. And it's always fun to hatch your own. And I think that brings up a good conversation we've had before of started pullets versus chicks. So if you're really looking to pinch pennies, you could start with started pullets, which are going to cost you a little bit more, but then you don't have all of the brooding expense involved in raising chicks up to your coop. So I've seen some people who have purchased homesteads that already have an established coop on site and they're new to homesteading and chicken keeping and they want to get started. And there's no reason why you can't purchase a couple started pullets and go from there. Then you don't have to have your brooder set up, the heat lamps, the heat plate, if that's the route you're going to go, all the brooder shavings, the purchase of the chicks. You kind of put that cost into those beginning chicks. Now, if you do choose to hatch your own or to purchase chicks later on, you'll have the brooding cost associated. But if you just want to do started pullets and purchase a couple every two years to keep your flock in rotation, there's nothing wrong with that either. And we have a really good episode um, and blog post that I'll link that cover started pullets versus chicks. 
Now on to Jeff's most favoritist topic. <laughs> the coop. repurpose materials. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a hoarder, but cough, cough. <laughs> you know, that two by four that you use part of and the rest is still good. You store if you did some plumbing in the house and you picked up more than you needed of the PVC. Well, you store, you know, just get rid of it. And on the farm, on the homestead, in the chickens, you can always use that stuff. There's always something you can think out of the box and create, whether it's with the waterer, where you get the, the nipples that they have now, where you can just drill in, attach the waterer to that. You can hook it up to a barrel of water and it makes the watering so much easier. That's with the PVC pipe that you had used the hole in the house. But there's a lot of ways to repurpose you can find stuff around the, the house, from the garage. Uh, another thing is Habitat for Humanity Restore Goodwill. Sometimes you'll find stuff there. There's garage sales for those of you who like to garage sale. There's auctions. I have found a lot of stuff at auctions. It's true. I think when it comes down to the coop, for most people, it's a battle of time versus money. So if you're going to repurpose and DIY, it's going to take up more of your time, less expense. But if you're too busy or just don't have the time to sit down and put together a coop, then you may want to just purchase one that's pre-made, but those are going to cost you a lot more. So I think it's just weighing that and balancing it during that time in your life when you're getting chicks or you're moving them to the coop. That's really where that decision is going to come into play. And now on marketplaces and things like that too, you can usually find people sometimes selling whole coops that you can come and pick up or nesting boxes or things like that. If they've upgraded or they've tripled in size and they want to get rid of the smaller nesting box. My only concern with that that I want to make sure people are aware of is making sure anything that's been used on a farm or homestead previous to yours is that you're cleaning it really well before you put it in your coop. So good biosecurity practice of not moving something that had chicken poop from another farm onto your farm because you never know. I mean, you can go to the farm and pick it up and see the environment and talk to the person, but if they had Merrick's before or coccidiosis, before or something like that. And, you know, sometimes people aren't always honest, despite what we'd hope. Just make sure that you're cleaning it really thoroughly and letting it dry using a bleach solution and putting it into your coop. So that's my only concern when I see people bringing stuff home is just make sure you're doing your due diligence with those. And I want to second that. Be careful. I have heard so many calls of people who bought chicks from somebody across town. They brought them over and they lost all their chicks because they brought in a new disease. Yep. The only thing that I've brought home, I think, was one of the big nesting boxes. That's like, what is it? Ten holes that are really expensive. They're metal. Mm -hmm. Um, so I knew I could clean it really well. And so I let it sit for a couple weeks outside, scrubbed it down, let it sit. So I gave it some time on our property before I installed it. But I think that's the only thing I've ever purchased. And again, I scrubbed that thing with a toothbrush on the inside, making sure all of the corners of that nesting box were completely clean and disinfected before I installed it. Now you can go that route, but you can also forage and find some materials around your homestead as well. I know a lot of people like using 
logs and sticks and things like that for natural roosts within their coop. It gives it a nice aesthetic too. I've done that before with branches. You just want to make sure they're secure. You don't want them shifting in the coop or falling over and causing leg injuries. So you can't just take a stick and plop it in the coop or lean it against the wall. Make sure you're securing those in there. And also consider the diameter of those. So we typically recommend a flat surface for your chickens to roost on. It's actually better for their feet. But if you're using logs and sticks, make sure that it's a larger diameter one. You don't want little tiny sticks in your coop for your chickens to roost on um, and the potential of breaking too. So another thing to consider. The other thing that we're now considering is adjust the scale of your operation. If it's two of you, why do you have 30 chickens? And then you have to give those eggs to family, neighbors, strangers, cousins, aunts and uncles, trying to get rid of all these eggs that your chickens are producing. Adjust your flock to you and what you will eat. Do you eat 15 eggs a day? I doubt it, but I'm on a new uh, bodybuilder regimen that requires, yeah, you know, where you mix raw eggs, raw eggs <laughs> and throw in some protein shake and chug it down. <laughs> Sounds so delicious, but adjust your flock to your family. And then uh, if you want to have more to feed relatives, then do that. But the cost of having those extra chickens to try to sell them, to give them away is a lot more work than what you need. Now, I know a lot of people too think they'll sell the eggs to make money to kind of supplement their chicken operation. And it takes a lot of eggs to do that. And so it's not when you start weighing the pros and cons, it's not worth increasing your flock to try to reach those goals to produce the eggs enough to then sell them. You have to take into consideration the whole homestead if you're going to do that. So if you're going to market selling other produce and things like that, then it makes sense to take what eggs you have. We take our eggs to market. I have someone that goes to attend the market on our behalf and it works out really well for us because we take them to a town where we can sell them for a lot more than we can sell them on our property. And actually the money that I make from market pays for our chicken's feed. So I've worked out the cost where that works out perfect for us and I'm happy where we're at and where we most likely won't be expanding anymore. But again... Uh, no, there's those birds you saw <laughs> that I think you're going to add. <laughs> you know, you said you're not going to, but we know. I know. It's that chicken math that gets you. So it's just weighing those items. It's nice in theory. It sounds nice to sell eggs to supplement the chicken feed, but it doesn't always work out like that. And if you're the one that has to attend market, that's your time every Saturday sitting at market for six plus hours selling those eggs. So just make sure you're weighing those pros and cons against other operations within your homestead before you go that route. Um, and then like Jeff said, just scaling, right? So you can always add more. You can always reduce your flock. You can change your breeds and your poultry types to fit you. Making sure that you're doing that throughout your poultry keeping journey, you'll find a sweet spot for you. That makes sense cost-wise. And the biggest take out of this is do what's best for you. And I know this is super hard to do in the days of social media because you'll see other homesteaders with big, beautiful flocks and diverse poultry types and breeds. And you want that and you want the fancy coop that's Instagram worthy. But at the end of the day, 
it's your pocket that's coming out of and your stress and enjoyment. So are you going to stress about having the latest and greatest or are you going to enjoy your three chickens and the eggs you get to feed your family breakfast every week? You have to kind of take a step back sometimes. It can be overwhelming. I know because I scroll those feeds. Another way that you can make chickens make sense for you financially is taking into consideration all the other ways your chickens work for you. So most people obviously think of eggs or meat, which are the primary uses for your chickens. But there's other ways that you can use your chickens to kind of benefit from them in greater ways. One way that I like to use my chickens, especially in the summer months, is kitchen scraps. So if you raise chickens and pigs, you'll never have compost stuff. People ask me all the time, they'll come over and see our compost bins and they're like, that's all you have? Like, where's all your compost at? And when you feed your kitchen scraps to your chickens and pigs, there's like nothing left to put in the compost bin. They'll eat everything up. So vegetables and fruits, especially in the summer when you're trying to keep your flock cool, I give them all of those items that have been refrigerated, maybe refrigerated a little too long because I didn't get to use them. It goes to good use, right? Jeff likes to say this all the time. You are what you eat. So feeding that back to your chickens is a good, healthy way to use your scraps. Now, one way that I make up for compost with kitchen scraps is by deep litter method. Every time I clean out the coop, it goes into our compost bin, breaks down, and then gets put back out into the gardens in early spring, late fall, depending on how our flow is going. So free fertilizer, right? I mean, it doesn't really get much better than composted chicken manure. It's really nutritious for your soil and will help your garden bed prep. And that is the third and final way that I like to use my chickens is in the spring, the chickens have free reign of our gardens until we get to planting. In the fall, I love to put them into our garden spaces to help break down all of the old vegetation. So old tomatoes that are left on the vine, any bugs, they'll scratch up and eat them and help so that they're not you know, burrowing back into the soil and popping back up in the spring months. So I use my chickens in that sense. And that makes me feel like I get a little bit more out of them, right? There's a purpose to them being on the farm other than just laying eggs or being used for meat. Another way to reduce your cost is your feed. One way you can do this is buy in bulk, sort of. If you got three chicks, three chickens, you're not buying in bulk. (laughs) That's not going to work for you. What would work for you is like here in Ohio, we have farms everywhere and we have feed mills everywhere. And so shop. Don't just go to the local farm store, go around, go to different feed mills. A lot of times you'll get cheaper feed, cheaper cost of feed at feed mills uh, because they do it right there. You're getting it from local farmers. And that's what I've done in the past because I got a good, better price than if I'd have gone to a commercial store. The feed mills too, if you, some of them, I know here, if you bring your own containers, they give you a reduced price. So you're not purchasing the 50 pound bags. Uh, I've never done that with chickens because I have too many different <laughs> poultry types and different kinds of feed I have to buy. So I do buy in bulk, but I still use the 50 pound bags. When we do pigs, we purchase our feed in bulk that way. And you can bring your own container. Like if you have a big old plastic bin, not a Rubbermaid bin, like these are industrial big bins that you put in the back of your truck, they'll pump it right into your container and you can get a price break that way too. 
Um, so if you're a larger operation, that's one thing to consider. Now, I do want to recommend too for urban chicken keepers, if you're ordering your feed online or going to some of the more conventional stores, it may be worth driving out of town an hour to a feed mill or to a different style of store and loading up on a couple bags of feed and driving home. So it may be a trip that you make once a month or once every two weeks, but that cost of driving may outweigh shipping prices or some of that specialty feed that you're used to buying. So it's always good to kind of shop around and see what other prices are out there. One way that I reduce my feed bill is as soon as the grass starts turning green, my feed gets reduced about by half really in the summer months because my flock free ranges. So I gradually reduce the amount of feed I give them on a daily basis until we're down to a level that I like and that's healthy for my flock. And they get put to work. They go out and they scavenge bugs and fruits and vegetables that are left out and kitchen scraps and grasses, and they get their own food. Now, again, it's a healthy balance. It's a delicate balance that you have to kind of watch and maintain, but free ranging can really help, especially if you're used to having them in the coop or a run. If you give them the chance to free range for a couple hours every evening, you can reduce your feed bill by a little bit. Now, there's other smaller areas where you can help reduce your cost of keeping chickens. One way that I feel I significantly reduce my cost is by using the deep litter method. Now, again, it depends on your coop setup and your lifestyle and your your preference. Some people don't like the deep litter method, um, but the way that I have it set up, I spend a lot less time cleaning, which saves me not only money, but time. And so instead of cleaning out on a weekly basis where I'm spending a couple hours out there in multiple bales of pine shavings, I'm doing the deep litter method, letting it compact, shoveling it out, putting it in my compost bin, using it in the garden. So again, it's multi-purpose. So two, looking at your coop setup, how you can improve that setup, some of your cleaning methods and products, things that are going to help you reduce the odor, like for Saturday Lime, getting a subscription to something like that, help you reduce costs there as well. And one of the benefits of chicken tractors is you don't have pine shavings because you're moving the tractor every few days and that's one less expense you have. That's very true. And then you're fertilizing your lawn as you go. Exactly. Now, one of the best ways that you can save money is doing your research. (laughs) And this is something that I preach to beginner chicken keepers all the time is Making sure you're researching your area, your coop, the right breed for you, how many birds you want. Doing some of that preliminary work can really save you time and money in the long run. And to help you with that research, Meyer Hatchery not only offers the chicks and started pullets and hatching eggs, but we have so many great resources through our help desk, our blog, this podcast, our YouTube channel. We're constantly trying to create content that will help you and be a resource to you on your poultry keeping journey. Now you can find all of those resources linked below or on our website at meyerhatchery.com. We hope this episode about frugal chicken keeping gives you some new tricks and tips to make your chicken keeping journey more cost effective. And with that, we thank you for listening to The Coop. Be sure to subscribe. And if you'd be so kind, drop us a review. See you all next week. Thank you.